Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the song Mary sang after she found out she was pregnant with Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of all of our Christmas celebrations. We have four separate events coming up this month. They're all different, and I think they're all pretty cool. And I hope that you'll be at each and every one of those things. You can learn all that you want to learn about those events, what they are, when they are, where they are, all of those things, by going to wilsonville.church events. I hope you'll check those things out and consider joining us. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I really do hope it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. When I was a younger man, uh, Matt, my roommate and I, who we married sisters and so we're brother-in-laws now, uh, we, uh, uh, was that, did I say that in the wrong way? People laughed. It wasn't a joke, but maybe Matt's just funny. Uh, but Matt, my brother-in-law and I were roommates before we married sisters. We ceased to be roommates after we married uh, two girls that are sisters. But he worked at the Family Fun Center at Bullwinkles over there. And and they were getting rid of a giant arcade machine. And as young men, you know, we of course wanted it. And we said, yeah, we'll take it. It turned out to be a dumb game, which is going to make this story worse. We beat it in like one day and then it sat there. Uh, but, but we got this thing to our apartment complex easy enough. And then we realized we got to get it to the third floor. We lived at the very top. And this thing, I mean, this thing... It was like a, a whale. Like, I mean, it was so big. And so I, I don't, I think there may have been a third person with us. Roommates kept coming over time. Uh, but like we, we, I don't know, it felt like 15 minutes are struggling to get up each and every stair. Like we are working hard. We're sweating. One of us is underneath praying, you know, like just don't let it fall on me. Don't let it fall. And the other guys are like, you're good, you know. And I mean, it is it is work, and, and we are a third of the way up, maybe, and it is becoming just, you know, like, scary. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. Like, I don't know if we can get up one more step. Like, are we going to be able to get through these angles that we have to get to get it into our apartment like I'm not I'm not sure it's worth it you know maybe we should just chuck it over the side and be done with it and and so we are I mean we are struggling and and uh, you know I'm not people have called me scrawny I don't think they're right but I, I'm not a big person and and Matt's not a big guy and and uh, whoever else was there I think there was a third person is also not a big guy and we're just we're just fighting with this machine and all of a sudden this low actually manly voice comes from across the street you gentlemen need any help it was like that and we look down and this man that we've never met before is coming out of a truck of course and and he is just bulging biceps and huge quads and he's he's He's, a, he's like the Hulk. I mean, he's a ma- just a mammoth man. He looked like he belonged in the NFL. And, and, and we say, yeah, you know, from like underneath the video game machine, this stupid Star Wars game. And, and he comes over and like, it felt like two steps. He was across the street and he took out his finger and he just, he just lifted. I, I'm, Matt, my brother-in-law, he'll tell you the same thing. It was like all of a sudden this thing went, went from weighing like a thousand pounds to 
like 10. Like he just, he just came over and he just walked up the stairs and we put our hands on it like, we're helping, you know. It was, it, it was amazing and before we knew it, it was, it was just in the door and, and, and then we had it set up. It was, it, it was incredible uh, because we went from, we went from, I'm gonna segue big here. We went from this, this incredible burden that we just didn't feel like we could lift ourselves. To, to all of a sudden having that burden lifted. <clears throat> and the reason that the burden was lifted was because of the incredible strength of this guy that I don't think we ever saw again. Uh, he may have been an angel. I don't know. He just touched by an angel just to get the video game machine upstairs. I, I, it was amazing. But it was because of his strength that the burden was lifted. And today, here's, here's what we're going to see in this song that we've been studying, Mary's song. Uh, we, we've been looking at this song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang uh, after she learned that she was pregnant with Jesus and went to visit her relatives, Zachariah and Elizabeth. She sees them, she talks to them just briefly, and then this song comes out of her mouth. And it's this song that contains incredible theology and incredible truth that we've been for two weeks now learning from. And, and this morning we're gonna see something new. And, and what I think we'll see is incredible, and this is it. It's that God's incredible strength is really what lifted the burden from us. Here's, here's the reality that we all, we all kind of know. The world for, for basically ever has, has lived under an incredible burden. We've lived under the curse of, of sin and death and evil and, and we are unable, we've always been unable to lift that burden on our own. And what it's done for us is it is tainted, it is it has caused everything that we experience to be more difficult. As I thought about that idea this week, I don't know why, but I, I thought about uh I, I don't like telling you this, this is embarrassing, but um, I used to get canker sores all the time, and thankfully they I don't get them as much anymore. I think some diet changes, but I used to get canker sores all the time. And they're just horrible. It's just this horrible thing in your mouth. And uh, you, know, I, you want me to see? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, like, it's just this horrible thing. And, and some of them are so bad that, like, you can't actually do anything else without just feeling tense and in pain. And, like, like it just, it's just a struggle. It's like you're trying to talk to your kids, but you're also just thinking about this incredible sore in your mouth. And you're, you're trying to eat, and you're having a good meal, but it... it is terrible and you can't eat chips and salsa because it feels like there's literal fire in your mouth, you know? It just taints everything that you're experiencing, even the good things. And, and, and the sin and the struggle and the death, the curse that the world has been under the burden of, it's like that. It's like even our best moments are not quite as good, right? Like even as you go through the Christmas season, this holiday season with all of its Hallmark movies and all of its festivities and all of its fun, you still have these worries and these stresses and these struggles that you know you still have to deal with despite you know, the magic of the Christmas season or whatever. And when Jesus came into the world, he came to lift the burden. He came to lift the burden, to make it better. Now, look, look, let's just get it out there. There's still death and there's still pain and there's still suffering and there's still stress. We still experience those things. But here's what we're gonna see in our passage today. And here's one of the main things that the Christmas season should teach us. Jesus came in order that there could be relief available to all people for these 
canker source that we all feel, this burden that we cannot lift on our own. Uh, those, this, is the, this is the reality. This is what Mary is going to declare in her song. She sees it from the conception of her son. She's going to say this. This is what we need to understand this morning. Those who embrace the gift of Christmas can have their misery relieved, even if their problems aren't taken away. Let me say it this way. Jesus' birth is a great thing done by a mighty and holy God for the relief of his people. And that's exactly what Mary says this morning. I want to see how she says it, but before, before I do, I want to just say I had a complaint a couple weeks ago, two complaints, same complaint uh, about my preaching, and, and here was the, it was a good complaint, and they were in the same family, so they must just think alike or whatever, but the complaint was, hey, we're talking about this song, but we haven't actually read the whole thing yet, and it's a pretty long song, that's why we're breaking it up over four weeks, and, and I said, you know, that's a good complaint, I'll think about that, don't come back to our church though, um, and no, I'm just kidding, uh, I love these people, uh, but, they, but I, I said, I'll, I'll work it out, and here's what I've decided, we're at our candlelight service next week, we're going to read the whole song together, we're going to read it out loud together, and so make sure, if you're just like, man, I, all these parts are not going together for me, well, come to our candlelight service next week, and we'll We'll do it corporately. We're going to say it all together. But with that in mind, or maybe with that out of mind, uh, this is what Mary says. For the mighty one has done great things for me. The mighty one has done great things for me. I really like all the names that Mary uses for God in this song. She's, she's looking at God and, and it's like one name for him is not going to do the job. She's called him Lord, uh, which is a term of respect, a term that says, you know, I give my life to you really. And, and she's called him Savior, a term that recognizes that, that Jesus has come to save people from from sin, uh, maybe she doesn't know it's from sin, but from all the things that she knows the world needs saved from. And now she, she switches gears and she refers to God as she thinks about the birth of her son, the conception of her son, she refers to God as the mighty one. Now, if you're anything like me, Christmas and might or power or strength, they're they don't really go together very well. I mean, we think of Christmas as a, as a time of meekness and, and even weakness maybe, although we probably shouldn't. I mean, the very story that we celebrate as Christians, if you're a Christian, is a story of God coming to earth in the person of Jesus, but Jesus later is this incredible figure who does miracles and who heals the sick and raises the dead and heals the blind and feeds people with not enough food and all of these crazy awesome things, walks on water, you know, all of that stuff. But the Christmas story, when we celebrate Christmas, we think of him just laying there in a feeding trough, not able to do anything for anybody, including himself. He's totally, interestingly enough, at the will and whims of his mom, when he is first born. And here is this woman who is going to raise this helpless little child at first. And she in the midst of conceiving. I mean, he's just an embryo at this point, right? He's just an embryo at this point. And, and Mary turns her attention to God and says, the mighty one. She recognizes that the coming of Jesus is the coming of God's strength in some ways. It's the coming of God's might. It's the coming of God's ability to lift the burden for us. 
And he didn't do it with a loud, booming voice from across the street, but he did it in the conception of the person that we call Jesus. Joel Green, who is the author of the New International Commentary on the New Testament. Any book that long has got to be really smart, right? Uh, But it's a great commentary on the book of Luke. He says that when Mary says this, she is picturing God as a mighty warrior fighting for his people. All while being a little embryo that would eventually be a baby that laid in a feeding trough. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18 says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Other passages describe this might of God. Psalm 24, 8, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you and his love he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. I just would pause and say I don't think that we think of God like that enough today. I think that that we think of God, and, and this is right, it's just not enough. We think of God as, as this suffering servant, if you think of God at all, who, who came, and maybe if you think of this, that he died for you, and he loves you, and he wants to have relationship with you, and he listens to your prayers, and he takes care of you. He's protecting you, yeah, but you think of him as like a buddy. You remember the Jesus is my homeboy shirts? They were big when I was in college. I never had one, I'm very thankful to say. But it's this mentality that, that God is is like our friend and God is our friend but that's not enough to see God as just our friend because he is also our mighty king our mighty warrior he is the mighty one and and if you don't see God in both of those ways then you won't see God correctly I say this a lot in my sermons but I would I would guess that the way you view your father really impacts what side of that you see God on if you had a a, a disciplinarian father who was not very nice to you then then you probably lean towards seeing God as a mighty one and forget that God is also a, a loving and good one that cares about you and and if you had a dad that that maybe was a pushover, then you maybe see God as just the same, a God that, that kind of lets you do whatever you want and, and still wants to have a relationship with you. Or maybe you didn't have a dad around at all, and I would just say that maybe you view God that way too as a distant and absent being that doesn't care. You should not see him that way. He's not like your dad in that regard. Uh, but we need to see both those first two sides. Our God is, is all-loving and all-powerful. That's a big theological idea, but it's an important theological idea. He is all-loving and all-powerful, and we must cling tightly to both of those. And Mary, as she considers her situation being pregnant with the Son of God, remembers that it's a sign of his incredible might. But the question becomes, what, what is he coming to fight against? I mean, is this a you? Uh, no, I think the answer is no. But what, what is Mary picturing when she says God is the mighty one and in Joel Green's mind, and I don't think he's far off. I mean, it's a mighty warrior fighting for his people. What is he fighting against? Joel Green says this, it's the repeated opposition of men and women to God's purpose. 
the repeated opposition of men and women to God's purpose. He's really come to fight against what, what has system, been systematized to fight against the will of God. Uh, like things like this, the oppression of people and pride and claims of power and evil wealth. These very systems that exist in our world that, that fight against God's will, his purpose in the world and in your life. Mary's living in the, in the midst of a, of an empire that, that stands in, in pretty staunch, strong opposition to the things, the ways, the will of God. The Roman Empire ruled and reigned over the Israelites, the Jewish people at that time, and they were, they were pagan. They, were, they, they, were, they weren't godless, but they worshipped false gods. And, and they looked at the Jewish God as fake and even dangerous at times in the history of the Jewish-Roman interactions. Mary knows that her people, the Jewish people, have been oppressed by different, different nations for, for a long, long time. They've been kind of passed back and forth between these countries that were bigger and had more power than them, these empires that existed in history. And it had been a really long time and, and since the Israelites, the Jewish people, were on top and were the biggest empire. And now she knows in the coming of this baby who still is inside of her, she knows that God has come to fight against the oppression that has so long held them down. I know that we all have burdens and we all experience things that, that we know ought not be. Things that I think we can look at God and say, I know you don't want this for me. I talked about worry just a few weeks ago and man, we all... We all struggle with worry. Everybody here raised their hand and said they struggle with worry. All those things that you worry about, so many of them are just standing in opposition to what God would have in your life. I don't know if it's your love of money or you know, a self-inflated view of you or whatever it might be, but so many things can stand in opposition to God in this world. All the things that we worry about, most of the things we worry about uh, are not godly things inherently. We think about the wars and the anger that exists all around us and, and we just look at our world and our world seems to want to fight against us doing what God wants us to do, right, in some ways? I mean, you just have to turn on the TV and the TV tells me to do so many things that I know I shouldn't do. And when Jesus came, it was God's coming to say, I want to fight against that which is fighting against me and subsequently fighting against you who are trying to follow me. I love that. If you're on God's side, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you follow God through the death and resurrection of Jesus, then you can know that the coming of Jesus, in a lot of ways, was God coming to earth to fight against the very things that fight against you living the life that you want to live because you try to follow God. That's huge. And man, we don't need, we don't need a weakling when it comes to battle, right? And we all feel like we're in a battle sometimes. We need somebody strong. We need somebody with superpowers. I, I thought about, man, my son came here today and 
he was dressed like Batman when he showed up. I don't ride with my children, and uh, he's calling himself Batman Steve, which I think my dad jokingly said to him one day, uh, just the other day maybe. And now he comes in, and I said, na 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 and he always yells Batman, and today he said, he said, Batman Steve. <laughs> like, what is happening in my life? What did I do before I had a two-year-old? You know, I mean, come on. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, and you were picturing him as a 16-year-old, I'm sorry for not telling you he was too ahead of that story, but. Uh, but man, when we think about Batman fighting crime, right? Like, we don't want Batman coming in like, hey guys, you know, I hope I can help you. Like, we need a strong figure as a superhero. And when it comes to the battle for our souls, we don't need a God who is weak. We need a God who is strong. And Mary recognizes that Jesus has come, that the Christmas story happened because God wanted to fight for you. And she turns her attention to God and she says, God, you are the mighty one. And I am so thankful that you have showed up on the scene to lift the burden of my oppression. We have a mighty God. In the midst of misery-inducing sin, we need a strong Savior. And that's exactly what Jesus is. And then she says, this mighty God has done great things for me. I love that that's past tense because... I think Mary's probably seen God do a lot of work in her life, but, but even now she knows that the coming of Jesus before he's done anything, anything, right? Well, he's the size of an avocado or whatever in there. Like, I, that's a little big, I don't know. But whatever size you are, and when you're inside your mom still, even at that size, even before Jesus is healed or walked on water or died or come back to life, before all of that, she knows that his coming is a great thing for her, and not only for her, but for the world. I love that this, world, this word for done great things is, it's a word that can translate great or magnificent, and it's actually just a different form of the word at the very beginning of this song, the word that this song is named after in history, and that word is magnify. That's how we usually translate it. My soul magnifies the Lord. She says that at the very beginning. My soul magnifies the Lord. Well, why? Because God has, has magnified me. He's magnified me. I said it uh, in my first sermon that when we magnify God, it's, it's not as if we are using a microscope, right? It's like we're using a telescope. We're, we're, we're taking this giant God and, and we're seeing him, we're explaining him, we're talking about him, we're living in such a way that shows the world how great he is. Our words are expressing his greatness, not making him more great. It's like a telescope, not a microscope. But here's, here's what I love. It's as if Mary is recognizing that God has, has taken the microscope of heaven and, and put it squarely on us. We magnify God because he has looked down and said, I want to make a big deal of you even though you know, you're, you're my creation. I don't need to make a big deal of you. We're nothing compared to God, right? Nothing. But he's chosen to look down on us and make a big deal of us. And Mary recognizes that in the coming of Jesus is an expression of God doing a great thing, magnifying her. Mary recognizes God's magnific magnificence because she recognizes that the coming of Jesus is a magnificent thing for her. I, I just, man, I just, I don't know you, I don't know all of you anyway, and I don't know if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning, I, I think you can jump on board with what I'm about to say next. 
Uh, if you're an atheist, it might be a little harder, but, but if, you're, if you're not a Christian, you just believe there's a God up there, can we just all ad- just say, like, the coming of Jesus was an incredible thing for the world. Uh, and now, look, I know if you're skeptical or whatever, you're, you're going to immediately just jump to some of the heinous crimes of Christianity and history. But if we, could just, if we could just say, okay, those are bad. We all just, some of the things Christians have done are bad, in the name of Jesus even, are bad. But if you just look at the world around you and you see the difference that the coming of this baby made, it's absolutely incredible. There's a reason, I say this often, there's a reason that, that almost every hospital you can name is named after a Christian or after something that is Christian. It's because people start hospitals because they want to be like the great physician Jesus who walked around healing people. I mean, we should recognize that, that, that so much of modern medicine exists because Christians said, I want to be like Jesus and help the world. When, when we are, are alleviated of our suffering in a very physical way, it, it's, it's often because of incredible scientists and doctors who loved Jesus and wanted to live like Jesus. Most of what you consider modern ethics, right? Most of how we, we gauge right and wrong is because of Jesus. Though before Jesus, right and wrong was vastly different. Let me just give you a couple of examples that I think we'll all agree on. Before the coming of Jesus, there was no idea in anybody's mind that all people had the same value and worth inherently. There were haves and have-nots. And America's value system that says all people are worthy, all people have dignity, that is based on the coming of Jesus. And I think we can all agree that that is a great thing for this world. I think about women, and, and man, Christians can get a bad rap for, for you know, not liking women or something. I, it's weird to me because, because before Jesus, women were just totally, across the board, in every culture, seen as less than men. And Jesus shows up on the scenes and moves the, the place of women forward. And then this guy named Paul, who loved Jesus and served him with his entire life, moved the place of women forward to the point where we're at today, that we look at men and women and we say they have equal value and worth. Man, I think that the coming of Jesus did some incredible things for the world. It is a great thing for all people, even people who have not embraced Jesus, but it's far better for those who have. The idea of human rights being available to all people, man, it is inherently a Christian belief. Now look, I know that some of these things I've just said, it's it's funny because because now people try to use them to tear down Christianity, right? Like I think of science. I mean, most of, most of what we think of as modern science is built up upon the backs of Christians. Uh, but, but so many of these things are now used to tor- tear down Christianity, but we should do our best to recognize that they're all, they're all Christian ideas. And if people want to say, well, you know, whatever they say, you know, I don't know, they don't allow women to preach or whatever it might be, and so how dare them not like women? Well, the fact that, that you think we should allow women to preach or to do a lot of things that men do is, is built upon the backs of, of Jesus. It's on the back of Jesus. Uh, but even more than all of these things, we, we're gonna see what God has done in verse 50, but first she declares, holy is his name. 
God's holiness is all that makes him uniquely better than us. That he is all loving and all powerful and all knowing. This is what makes God's holiness. John Piper, who I, man, when he talks about God's holiness, it's incredible. He says, God's holiness is his infinite value, is the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is, and who by grace made himself accessible. His infinite value is the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is. I love that. Psalm 111.9 says, He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. This thing happens in the Bible. It looks, the Bible, the writers of the Bible, they look at God and they say, wow, you are holy. And then they look at the work that God does in their lives and they say, wow, what an expression of your holiness that you would care about me. God's holiness is one of these things that's easier to see than, than to explain. I think we see it in some ways in a beautiful sunset or a star-filled night, but here's what Mary does. She recognizes that we should see God's holiness in the coming of Jesus. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was the essence, the perfect essence of God's holiness. And here's what Mary is describing before I turn to verse 50, which I absolutely love. Jesus' birth is a great thing done by a mighty and holy God for the relief of his people. Here's what verse 50 says. This is the next thing out of her mouth. And the last thing I'll talk about today is mercy extends to those who fear him. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Now, some people connect this word mercy to this idea that was in the Old Testament of, of hesed. And man, if you've been around a long time, you've heard me talk about this word hesed. It's a word in the Old Testament, the, the writings in the Bible before the coming of Jesus, that refers to loving kindness and mercy and grace. Like so many of the good words about God's relationship to people in the Old Testament are this single word that gets translated in a variety of ways. But really what it always refers to, or almost always refers to, is God's covenant love for his people. By that I mean it's love that isn't based on anything people had done. It's love that is based on God looking at people and saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And, and he, he entered into a relationship with people. And even when they sinned and they, they didn't do the things they were supposed to do, he continued to have a relationship with them. He continued, in other words, to be merciful to them. Read Psalm 103 sometime. It paints a beautiful picture of this word, hesed. It's awesome. Um, but today we need to see that the coming of Jesus was in some ways the coming of Hesed. It is God saying, I'm not done with my people yet. But even the simple definition of the Greek word that translated into, mer in, translates into mercy is awesome. It's a feeling of sympathy with misery, active compassion, the desire of relieving the miserable. Let me, that last part, pay attention, pay attention to this. The desire of relieving the miserable. Mis or, excuse me, mercy is a, is a really important part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, maybe read that during the Christmas season. I read that with my family every year. And, and you can read the word mercy in verse 54 and 72 and 78. The coming of Jesus is the coming of mercy. It is the coming of God's active effort to relieve you from your misery. And Mary says that it's available for all who will fear him. Now, fear is another word, right? I mean, just like Christmas fear, like, nah, that doesn't really go together. 
But I think Mary recognizes something in her song that, that really doesn't become super clear in the Gospel of Luke, who's writing this story for us under the power of God. It doesn't become clear until later. And here's what it is. Fear drives us to receive mercy. I remember this time in, in college when I, uh, I, I didn't understand the syllabus and um, I, I thought that the guy had messed up the syllabus and I had done something wrong. And, uh, and anyway, my grade wasn't as good as I wanted my grade to be. That was back, you know, when I was a freshman and still cared about how good my grades were. But, uh, but I, 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 it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And so I went, I, I actually, this was not a good move, just so you know how terrible I can be. I went to the department head. Like, I talked to my professor once, and, and he kind of just dismissed me as being wrong. And then I went to the department head, and I talked to him and told him the story. I wasn't messing around. Um, and, and so then he said, well, you got to go talk to this guy again. And I said, oh, good night. And asked for forgiveness or whatever, you know. Tell him you misunderstood it. So I'm, I'm going to the door. I have this meeting. And I'm so scared, right? I'm so scared about this conversation. And here's the reality. I think this is, this is what Mary's getting at. If I, wasn't, if I didn't recognize his power to give me the good grade or the bad grade, then I wouldn't have approached him asking for his mercy. And that's the truth with God. If you don't recognize your need for mercy, if you don't recognize the canker sores in your life, if you don't recognize the sin in your life, if you don't recognize your need for God to actively relieve the the struggle, the suffering, the pain, the hurt, the sin that you have in your life, then you're never going to approach him. By the way, I went into the professor's office just so you know how it ends. And he said, shut the door behind you. I said, oh no. He's going to kill me. It doesn't seem right for a Bible teacher. Uh, but I went in and, and I shut the door. And the first thing he said was, after you, I heard you talk to my boss, I, I decided to change your grade. And then he went on a whole spiel. Uh, I don't know if he said I did the wrong thing because I stopped listening when I heard that my grade was changed. But that's how that went. And, and here's the reality. If you'll approach God and you'll say, I have a need for mercy, you'll recognize that he is the one with the strength and the might, he is the holy one that can give you the relief you need, then God will provide it for you. This is what we believe as Christians. That little baby, Jesus, he grows up, he lives perfectly his entire life. At the end of that perfect life, he dies on a cross, the worst death the world has ever known, not because it was more physically uh, excruciating, difficult than other deaths. Lots of people were crucified at the time of Jesus, but it was the worst because when he hung on that cross, God allowed for all your sins to be piled upon him, and he felt the weight, the burden, the, the punishment of everything that you've ever done wrong and everything that I've ever done wrong. He literally paid the price of hell while he hung on that cross. He was put into a grave and maybe you know this story. A few days later, he came back to life. It's what we celebrate at Easter. After a while, he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father And God now looks down at us and and he calls us to accept this incredible gift of salvation. A gift that will lift the burden. It won't take away all your problems. But it will bring relief for all of those things that, that weigh you down and cause you to struggle. But the catch that Mary gets to here is that you have to recognize 
the mighty one as the mighty one. You must recognize the holy one as the holy one and you must fear him enough to go to him and say, God, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness for my sin. I need your hope of heaven. I need your peace. I need your joy. I need it. And so I'm coming to you to ask for it through what you did on the cross. I mean, think about, think about how the burden is relieved. I mean, for one, you get forgiveness for your sins. You get to go to heaven. That's the big part, right? But there's these other things that are promised in Scripture that can happen for those of us who choose by fearing God to enter into a relationship with God. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know what I pray for people who are in terrible situations that I know there's no hope for? Like it's gonna be bad and they're in the bad and it's, it sucks and there's no way out of it. I always just pray, God, give them peace that transcends all understanding. Just give them peace that goes beyond this thing that they're experiencing because the thing they're, they're experiencing is terrible. But God, give them peace that transcends that. Romans eight twenty eight has this promise and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Man, I mean, the burden is lifted not because all of our problems go away, but because we know that if we've given our lives to Jesus and accepted his mercy, that that everything we deal with, everything we face, no matter how bad it is, God is gonna work it for our good. Man, I've clung to that promise so many times and God has never let me down. I can look back at, this is crazy, I know you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I can look back at every bad thing I've ever gone through and see how God worked it for my good. He didn't do it to me. He allowed me to go through it. I mean, this world can be terrible, right? He allowed me to go through it. I don't know why, but no matter what, I know that he worked it for my good. 1 Peter 1, 6, and all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Peter, Peter says you can have joy despite the struggle. He's writing to a group of people who are gonna be persecuted for their faith. I mean, they're actually gonna hurt worse because of their relationship with Jesus because they've accepted his mercy. And he says, you can still rejoice. And then this incredible hope of heaven that all of us who are Christians have clung to at one time or another, I believe. Revelation 21, four, this is what it's gonna be like in the end. He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Eventually, we will not feel the burden at all. We have temporary relief and eternal, eternal relief. I just want you to know this today. Jesus' birth is a great thing done by a mighty and holy God for the relief of his people. And maybe this morning you need to embrace that. You need to come to him. You need to fear him. You need to give your life to him. I don't know. Do that. Maybe others of you have forgotten what an incredible thing this is and you need to return to that today. Jesus' birth is a great thing done by a mighty and holy God for the relief of his people. Let me pray that we'll remember that. Lord Jesus, I hope I made much of you this morning. I... This is one of those passages, God, where I just, I hope, I just pray as I'm praying now. I just want to make you look good, God, because you are good. You're holy, you're awesome, you're mighty, and you've chosen to magnify us to do great things for us. I pray that every, every person who's here this morning, those listening online, those who will listen online later, that God, uh, just a little more from this sermon, they would, they would understand how great you are and how great the gift of Christmas is, God. 
Lord, I pray for those who are suffering, who are really feeling the, the weight of the burden that is this sinful and fallen world. And I pray that they would find hope this morning and that you are fighting against that oppression and that struggle. You're fighting against that which fights against them. I pray, God, for those who have not given their lives to you, that have never accepted your mercy, that live, God, just in a constant state of burden and suffering. And I pray that you, God, would cause them to fear you in such a way that they would give themselves to you and they would accept your gift of salvation through your cross. God, mostly I thank you for coming. I thank you for Jesus for coming to this earth as the mighty and holy one so that we might have your mercy. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.